Okay, we're going to begin here on the top of Yud Bet Amud Aleph, about eight lines down. Gemara begins, Tana Debe Rabbi Shmuel. Yotzei Adam B'Tfilin, Be'erv Shabbat, Ima Sheikha. A person can walk around with tefillin going into Shabbat. Suppose two of the things or the items that mentioned in our Mishnah where that isn't the case. Over here, one is permitted to go out with their tefillin close to Shabbat. My time off. Because inherently, tefillin are things that you're not going to forget. Kevin Damar, Rabbi Barv Uno, we know from Menachot, from Yuma, Chayav Adam, the Mashmesh, Bitfilin, Gosha, Vesha, Kavachomer, Mitzitz. Person needs to touch their tefillin at all times on a regular basis. And Kavachomer from Tzitz. Matzitz, Shembo, Elaz Karachat. The tzitz that the Kohen Godol wears on his forehead that has the Shem Hashem on it. That's only one Shem Hashem. Amra Torah, the Torah says, that it should be on his forehead at all times, which is an extraneous pasuk. We already know that Aaron wore it on his forehead. So what does it mean? He should not leave, have his mind wander away from it. He should not stop thinking about the fact that he is serving before Hashem and that Hashem's name is upon him. Tfilin. Sheish ben Azkarot Harbei, Tfilin had numerous mentions of Hashem's name. Achat kama v'kama. Certainly a person there cannot be Mesiach Dat, cannot have his mind wander away from the Tfilin. Hilkach midkar dachir luhu. Therefore a person will not forget that he's wearing Tfilin when he's entering into Shabbat. We're not going to have the fear like the machat of the tailor or any of the other craftsmen who are carrying items around where they normally carry it around, they're going to forget that they have that item on them. So that won't happen. Because over here by tefillin, you're always aware that you're wearing tefillin. You have to be aware that you're wearing tefillin. And that's why we have the practice during important times in davening, during Ashrei, people touch their tefillin. Uh, beginning after Baruch Hu, they touch their tefillin. During Shema, Vayem Shemo, they touch their tefillin. Yitzchak Tversky always used to say, it's not because make sure that your tefillin are on straight when you touch them. The reason that we touch them is because to remind ourselves that we're wearing tefillin and that we are girded in tefillin and that demands of us a certain behavior and uh, thoughts. And that's why we touch the tefillin all the, all the time to remind ourselves that we are now wearing the tefillin. Satanyo, Chananyo Omer, Chayav Adam Limashmish, Bibigdo Erev Shabbat. Person should check his clothing before Shabbat, Imashicha, as the sun is setting. Amrav Yosef, Hilchta. Rabti the Shabbat. This is a great aloha for Shabbat. This protects a person from walking outside while they're carrying things. You check your pockets, you check your bigadim before you enter into the Shabbat to make sure that there's nothing on them or you're not wearing anything that would be considered carrying on Shabbat. Or muksa, anything that's problematic for the Shabbat. We say this at the, the end of Bamim Adikim on Friday nights. We quote this brighter. So now we're back to our Mishnah. Mishnah said, Lo yaflet kelav, a person should not pick off the lice from his clothing. In the Mishnah, it's not clear. Afterwards, there's a statement, One may not read by the light of the candle. Because you might come to tilt the lamp that the flame is in. Is that qualifying or modifying only Is that also modifying the statement before, which is that you're going to pick the lice off? Is it both or just one? So that's the Gemara's question. Is the problem that you can't pick the lice off on Shabbat because you might kill the lice? For Rabbi Eliezer, he, and it's the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer, the Tanya, I'm Rabbi Eliezer, Horeg Kinabi Shabbat. Someone who kills a louse on Shabbat, Kilo Horeg Gamal. It's as if he kills a camel. It actually says Gamal because it's a big animal. Right, so that's no difference between a louse and a Gamal. You kill it on Shabbat, 
you are chayav. And the reason that you not, may not read by the candlelight is because you might tilt the lamp. Maybe the reason for both of them is that you shouldn't tilt the lamp. The picking off of the lights also requires light. And if you do it by the lamp, you're going to come to the same problem of Shemayateh. Tashma. Ein polin vein korin the oraner. One may not pick off the lights or read the oraner. So Gemara says, an obvious question. That's not written any different than our Mishnah. They over here, you have both items, and the modifier, the qualifier, is only after the second item. Over here, it's also not clear whether it's modifying the impolin or not. Tashma, impolin or an air, vein korim or an air. So here we have it straight out in a brighter that you can't do either of them because of or haner. The problem in both instances is shemi yatet aner, maybe it'll tilt the lamp on Shabbat. Elu min alochot, shamru beliat, chananya ben chizkiyah. These are amongst the alochot that were said in the attic or in the upstairs of chananya ben chizkiyah ben garom. We'll get to that later on in the Gemara. Shmamina detarvayu shemayate shmamina. So from here you can conclude that the problem by both of them is that you might tilt the lamp. Over here, Tosafot discusses whether the lice that we're speaking about here are the same lice that we're familiar with today. He discusses that there are two types of lice. There's black lice, white lice, and there's Yosef Mi Orleans and the Rabbeinu Tam arguing about whether it's the white lice or the black lice which come out of the ground, which come, which do come into the hair of people. In the end, it seems like we do have similar types of lice that they did have in their day. So now, the Gemara says, Amr Rabbi Yudam Rishmuel, Even if he wants to discern between his clothing and his wife's clothing, it's problematic in terms of using the oranair, using a candle. Anything that requires a discerning that is more detailed, then using the lamp, you always want more light. If you want more light, then Shema Yated. Maybe you'll tilt the lamp. That's only true in Mechuzah. When we're talking about the farmers, so those that live out in the more rustic areas, they, you can discern between them. So Rashi explains that in B'nai Mechuzah, they were a little more Mefunakim. And therefore, they didn't do work, or they didn't work in the fields. Therefore, their clothing was as wide as their wives' clothing. On the other hand, when you're talking about the farmers, their clothing is narrow because they're working in the fields. They don't want to get caught or anything in the fields. But they the women's clothing was more baggy or bigger. By feel or by, you could see that there was a difference in the clothing, that it was one's wider, one is narrower. Over here he does mention Bateyad, he mentions the sleeves again, which is interesting based on what we said yesterday with regards to the Ketone Pasim of Yosef. Over here those that work have narrower sleeves and those that don't work have these much wider sleeves. They were only talking about the older women because they are slight, they wear slightly shorter clothing and the men wear slightly wider clothing at that age. Avaldi adult, the younger folk, midayadi. There you can still distinguish between the clothing. Again, the women's clothing is going to be much wider, and the men's clothing is not going to be so similar. So it's only when clothing is similar in nature, and therefore you have to be really discerning, that's when we worry about using a lamp. One may not pick off lice in public because of the kavod. As Rashi explains, kavod, she'ovrim, those that are passerbys, shloim masu. That you won't discuss them. It's unpleasant to watch someone picking out the lice. And therefore, don't do it in public because it's offensive to the people out in the public. Rabbi Rabbi 
that people cannot do an emetic in public, that is, to cause oneself to throw up in public, that is also something that is unpleasant and nobody else wants to see. So, here are just two recommendations from the Gemara that this type of behavior is considered to be uncouth, unbecoming, and others are going to be bothered by it, so try not to do it in public. When you're cleaning off the lice from the baguette, you can roll them, rolling the baguette or rolling the louse, in order that it weakens it, and then you can pull it off and throw it. As long as you don't kill it. You can take it off and throw it. As long as you don't roll them. You're allowed to roll them. And throw them off. That's the proper way. That's the right way to do this. Even on a weekday. Rabba mekataluhu. Rabba killed them. Rosheshit mekataluhu. Rosheshit killed them. Rabba shadiluhu the kana demayo. Rabba used to throw them into a basin of water. In all these cases, you see three Amoraim who killed the louse when they were taking it off their begged. Oh, very good question. So you're looking in Tosafot. Rashi explains that was even on Shabbat. But he says, Mefarish riva b'chol. That Rabbah's statement is talking about a weekday, Bikayad Rabhuna. And that's going on Rabhuna's statement to come That's the proper way to do it on Chol, is to roll the louse and then take it off. Even on a weekday. And on that, Rabbah says, no, 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 on a weekday you just kill it. But Rashi, Ban Samkin and Rashi, Dafilu Shabbat. Rashi says here that Rabbah did this even on Shabbat. He killed him. Kaimel learned, Kibetila, Dushorbusamuch. And that's, he's passing like Betila, we'll see in a second, that says that it is Mutar. To kill him on Shabbat. That's a good so that's not like Rabbi Leazar who says it's killing on Shabbat. And therefore you will line up the opinions here. Opinions will really revolve around the different opinions. Which is that those that allowed you to roll it on Shabbat, because they believe that killing a kina on Shabbat is not midoraita, it's only mishum shvut, it's only midirabanan. And therefore, if by mistake you kill the louse when you're taking it off, not so bad. On the other hand, if you think that killing the louse on Shabbat is an Easter door, right there, we're not going to let you roll it, maybe you'll come to kill it. And that's the opinion of Abba Shaul. Those are the differences between those that said you can roll it, then take it off, versus those that said take it off and don't roll it at all. And then we had here the statement of Rav Sheshit that during the weekday you shouldn't kill it either, you should just roll it and take it off. And then we have the statements of Rabbah, Rav Sheshit, and Ravah who killed them. And that's a machloket Rashi and Tosafot, whether that was on Chol, according to the Riva, or that was on even on Shabbat, according to Rashi, that you were allowed to kill them even on Shabbat. So Amalu, Rav Nachman, the Vinatei, Nachman used to say to his daughters, Tolin, kill them, Vashmin and Likala Desanvate. Let me hear the noise of my enemies. So they obviously were bothering him, and he would throw them into the water or kill them, and he wanted to hear them like croaking as they killed them. One cannot kill a louse on Shabbat. And Betilah says, no problem. He always said other items. You can't make Shiduchim on Shabbat. You cannot hire a teacher for the child on Shabbat. Or to teach him a profession. One may not comfort those that are Avilim mourners. One may not visit the sick on Shabbat. Divrei Beit Shammai. All these are the opinion of Beit Shammai. Similar to what we just saw before, that Ein Horgim Makolet, and then there's Ein, 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 Ein of Beit Shammai. Beit Matirim. And Beit says, all of these things are Mutar. So now, just why can you kill a louse on Shabbat? This is both found in Rashi here. Tosafot says the same thing. Bekina, Ene, 
Pere or Ve. Pina does not multiply, does not reproduce. Elami Basara Dam Hishoretzet comes out, it's spontaneous generation from the body of the individual. Tosafot mentions it with regards to something that we saw before in Brachot of Klame, that the worn down Bigadim also have lice that come out of them because, again, that's spontaneous generation. It's clear that they believe the reason that killing the Laos on Shabbat was not Chayav is because it did not multiply like other living beings. It was spontaneously generated, and therefore it's not considered killing a living creature, because that's not classified within the quote-unquote living creatures that are assured to kill on Shabbat. Today, what's the halacha? We know that lice do reproduce. So what is the halacha Gabe Shabbat? We could argue that you're not allowed to kill them on Shabbat. The other side to argue is that even though they do reproduce, it's all done microscopically. Something that's not visible to the human eye even though it happens, it allegedly may not be true. So that's the same thing sometimes with filtering. When you filter things that are not visible to the human eye, sometimes that's, according to some of the poskim, that's not considered to be filtering. Because the water that you look at before and afterwards is the same water, and therefore, to the human eye, there was no borer that was done to this water. There are others that will argue, if you wouldn't have drank the water beforehand, and you only drink it afterwards, that that is considered to be borer. But many times when we're dealing with things that are microscopic, not visible to the human eye, the Gabay Halachot, or Hilchot Shabbat in particular, that is not considered to be something that is of significance. So it could be that even though lice do reproduce, the fact is that they're not reproducing to the visible eye. And because of that, the position that killing them on Shabbat is patur of al it might still stand today. Alright, we're going to get back to, I just mentioned over here, we had Beit Shemayim, Beit Hillel, arguing about a number of items that you're permitted to do on Shabbat. The Gemara now is going to continue to discuss about Bikur Cholim. And then we'll come back and discuss that a little bit. The only two that I'll mention up front are that you cannot be Mishadeh, the young girls, in order to have Erusim. Obviously, the Shidduch involved monetary discussions. And we have a restriction of Pasuk that we read and they have Torah by Yom Kippurim. You're not allowed to, on Shabbat, do your own needs. But Sim Shachah is your business transaction, should not be mentioned or discussed on Shabbat. Those are only Chafsei Shemayim, can be dealt with on Shabbat. So since this is something that is Chafatzecha, we won't allow it on Shabbat. Beit Hillel disagrees and says that's not the case, because these are Chafsei Shemayim. These are all mitzvot. And mitzvot to marry off. Tinok Lulam Dosefer, teach Torah to the child, to hire a tutor. On their day was really the teacher, that was the way how children learned. You hired a private tutor to come. Teach the children, and to teach a profession. That was, according to Beit Shemaya Sur, according to Beit Yilel, one could hire or associate a child with an apprenticeship on Shabbat, because it's a mitzvah to teach the child a profession. Based on the Mishnah in Kiddushin, that it's one of the obligations of a father is to teach their child a profession so that they can support themselves. All those are permitted, according to Beit Hillel, to be done on Shabbat, even though they involve monetary matters. You may not be able to discuss exactly the money issues, but you can come to some sort of agreement on Shabbat about these issues. And that is what we sing in the Zemer on Shabbat. In that Zemer we say, we say, They're all mentioned. Zemer, that's from here. That's right here in our Gemara. That's where the source for the fact that the Tino Kulam Dosefer and comes from this Gemara right here. So obviously this is according to Beit Hillel. Someone who goes in to visit someone who is sick on Shabbat. Omer, he should say, Shabbat hi milizok. 
So there's different girsot here. Some girsot are Shabbat. He, according to Rebbeinu Hanano, militz ok, instead of liz ok. As Rashi says over here, why do we do it this way? Because, You have to try to placate the person who's sick, to have them feel better, and to comfort them, so they won't be in pain. But part of the problem is, One may not cry out, one may not call out on Shabbat. And that could be from both sides. That could be from an emotional side. One can't be in pain. They see someone who's sick and they're distraught about that issue. And that might be problematic because a person can't be mitzta'er on Shabbat. The other part might be, Shabbatim al-Zok is that one may not call out. One may not be mitzpalel, mitoch, tshuka, from a point or a position of being distraught or upset. One may not daven on Shabbat. That making those types of requests on Shabbat are inappropriate. And therefore it's Shabbatim al-Zok. Shabbat itself can cure you. The way Rashi says, If you give honor to it, You say to the Cholet, If you feel a little better, If you give a Shabbat, Court it the proper kavod by not being sick, I mean not feeling sick, Then Shabbat will return the favor and cure you. So over there, the word Shabbat il it's not clear. I always understood it, and it seems a little bit that way. Shabbat il is referring to the person himself who's being mevaker. That Shabbat il you don't cry out on Shabbat, we don't beseech Hashem on Shabbat. But the way Rabbi Meir is reading it, it could be a statement to the Cholay himself, to the one who's sick. That Shabbat il Shabbat's not the time to call out, to cry, it's not the time to be upset. Don't be mitzter, because if you're not mitzter, yucholahishitirachain. Shabbat will return the favor and make you feel better. And therefore, you should give that kavod to the Shabbat. That's somewhat of what along the way Rashi says, Im sounds like maybe according to Rabbi Meir, the Shabbat Im Lizok is referencing the Cholet and not the Mivaker. Correct. We clearly read it as a statement of the Mivaker, or the one who is trying to give Mivaker Cholim, along the lines of those that say it's inappropriate to daven for the Cholet on Shabbat. So Rabbi Yehuda Omer, HaMakom Yerachem Alecha Ve'alchulei Yisrael. Shem should have rachamim on you and alchulei Yisrael. Now it's clear that Rabbi Yehuda's statement is true not only on Shabbat, it's true on Chol. So it's not clear if Rabbi Yehuda is saying this Gabay Shabbat or he's saying this in general when you're Mavakir Cholim. Rabbi Yosi Omer, HaMakom Yerachem Alecha Ve'toch Cholei Yisrael. Shem should have rachamim on you amongst Cholei Yisrael. Not only is it you separate from Cholei Yisrael, but amongst Cholei Yisrael. Now, that also might be, again, it's part of the Tanchumim for the Cholei himself, that he should feel that he's not alone, that there are others like him, the misery loves company, but there are others that are like you, and that Hashem takes care of all. Shavna Ishu Shalayim is a question here about the Girsa, whether Shavna is the correct name, or Shachna should be the name. Rabbeinu Hanano has the Girsa Shachna, Rabbeinu Tam wanted to change the Girsa to Shachna, because says uh, Shavna was a Russia, therefore Shemir Shemir Akev, and it would be inappropriate to have Shavna's name be used over here. Tosafot disagrees, the re says that we find Shabna in good places and in bad places. His name's used in both instances. And therefore you can't just automatically assume that this is the negative or the Russia Shabna. This could be the good person Shabna. And you can name after such an individual principle in general is that the first manifestation of the name in Tanakh. If it's good, then we generally name after that individual. If it's negative, 
then we don't name after that individual. And that's one of the Rees' criticisms of the Rebbeinu Tam. What happens if you have someone named Abraham, and that person, Abraham, is a Russia? So now nobody's going to name their children Abraham anymore? No, obviously, Abraham Avinu is the paradigm of the name of Abraham, and therefore you could still name them. So same thing with Shavna. There are people named Shavna who were bad, but there are also Shavnas that were good before him. So there's no reason not to say that the name here is Shavna. This important individual in Yishalayim, Bekinisa Tolmer, when he came in, he said, Shalom. Which is the same as the statement we saw before from the Tanakamo, as well as his addition, which is that Hashem's mercy is great, and that you should rest peacefully, not in peace, like that has a bad connotation, but they should rest peacefully on the Shabbat. So who is this according to Adam Someone has a in his house, he should be kolel. Include him amongst the other shekolei Israel. Come on, Rabbi Yossi. That's like Rabbi Yossi we said before. So again, this seems to be an indication. This refers to chol, not just on Shabbat. So here Rabbi Hanina comes back and says the same thing that with difficulty they allowed people to be menachim avelim and bakmikor cholim on Shabbat, which means that it is mutar, but with difficulty they permitted it. Again, why? Rashi says, the person who goes to visit those individuals becomes distraught, and that's inappropriate on the Shabbat. When we used to go behind Rabbi Elazar to inquire about the sick, sometimes he would say, Shem should ensure that you come out peacefully. That Hashem should, again, it's the same thing, except in Aramaic. It's the Hebrew translated into Aramaic, that Hashem should take care of you, think of you in a peaceful manner, and you should come out cured. So, how could he do this? A person should never ask or make requests in Aramaic. Anybody who does make his requests in Aramaic, the Malachi Asherite do not aid and assist him. Because the Malachi Asherite do not know the language or the Aramaic language. And therefore, they are not going to be helpful because they don't understand what you're saying. Tosafot over here says that's excluding Gabriel who does know it. And... Tosavot says, the obvious question here, he says, They know what a person's thinking. And they don't know what the Aramaic. So it's a very difficult, I'm not going to deal with it. It's not the main sugi over here. The main sugi is in the Gemara and Sota. to deal with this issue of Aramaic and that the Malachi Asherit don't understand Aramaic. The major problem, which is Rashi mentions over here, is that you need help in getting your tefillah inside the pargod, inside behind the quote-unquote curtain where Hashem, the Shekhinah, is found, and the Malachi Asherit have access, and they go in and out. And since they have that access, you want them to aid and abet your tefillah so that it actually gets there. And if they don't know what you're dominating, if they can't be of assistance, then it won't reach there. So Gemara's answer over here is, no problem, shiny choled, the shechina imo. The choled is an exception because Hashem is present. So then you don't need any intermediary to help bring the tefillah to Hashem because Hashem is there Himself. How do we know that the Shechina, Rashi brings two interpretations, one so'ed is so'mech, that he supports, he helps the Choleh, the other possibility is that he's Bukeid, he visits, he visits the Choleh, that's really from the word so'er, not so'ed, so then you have to say, so'ed, so'er, 
Shinamar Hashem Yisadenu al Eres Devai. And Hashem, again, Yisadenu, whatever the word so aid here means, whether it means to support, to visit. When a person is on their Eres Devai, is really like their deathbed. But you're referring to sickness when a person is ill. Tanya Namiyochi, we have a bright that supports it. Person should not sit on the bed or not on a chair. He has to wrap himself up and sit there. The shechin is above the head of the choleh. So therefore you have to be in an appropriate state. This is one of the rayot that when the shechin is present, one has to have their head covered. So that has ramifications in terms of davening Shmonesre in the morning when you go before the Shekhinah that once you put the talus over their head because that's appropriate reaction to being in the Shekhinah. Nehru Sozovechik used to say that on Yom Kippur once you had the talus over their head the entire Yom Kippur because the Shekhinah is present the entire Yom Kippur. When we blow the shofar at the end of Yom Kippur it was to allow like by the Yovel by the Har Sinai when you blew the shofar that the Shekhinah was rising or leaving that's the same thing at the end of Yom Kippur the Shekhinah is leaving. And therefore that means that the Shekhinah was present the entire Yom Kippur, and then it would be appropriate to have one, as the Gemara says here, mitatei for Yoshev lefanav, that you have to wrap yourself before the presence of the Shekhinah. The another thing is, you can't sit on a chair, and you can't sit on the bed. Now the bed is because the Shekhinah is at the head of the Cholah, and therefore you'd be sitting above the Shekhinah. That's true now, the same as what Tosor points out with the Kisei. It's not that you can't sit on a chair. You just sit sit on a chair that is higher than the head of the Cholah. Because if you're above the head of the Choleh, then it's as if you're sitting above the Shekhinah, and that would be inappropriate. So you can sit in a chair as long as you're below the level of the head of the Choleh. Shneemar, Hashem Yisadenu, Al-Eris Devai, Fremarav, Amaravin, Minayin, Shekodesh, Baruch, Uzanet, Choleh. How do we know that Hashem sustains, feeds the Choleh? Shneemar, Hashem Yisadenu, Al-Eris Devai. Here they're playing on the word Si'uda, from the word Yisadenu, in that Hashem provides the needs of the Choleh. The Gilean Hashanah, so Bikiv Eger notes, the Gemara doesn't bring it over here, but that is the story by Yaakov and Yosef. When Yaakov is on his deathbed and Yosef comes to visit him, and there the Gemara discusses the fact that the Shekhinah was present at that time in terms of bowing down, the Rosh Hamita, bowing down to the head of his bed because the Shekhinah was present. The other thing to discuss here is, what is the appropriate way to speak about Bikr Cholim or Nichum Avelim on Shabbat? So brought down by the Shochan Aruch, that Shabbati milizok rufuah kruvalavo, and then they add in what Shavna said, which is rachamav mirubim b'shiftu b'shalom. So they add in the entire statement that Shavna says. The Ramah says that our minhag is not to add in those last pieces of the line rachamav mirubim b'shiftu b'shalom, because the Rambam also eliminates it. The Rambam does not bring that section of the statement, and that is our minhag today to say Shabbati milizok rufuah kruvalavo. The Orcha Shulchan bemoans the fact that on Shabbat, in the Mishuberach that we say on Shabbat, after we say that the Cholish should have a Rufuah and da 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 da, then we add in this line, Shabbat Yim Zok, Rufuah After we've said everything, then we kind of add this in as an addition at the end. Instead of being more careful, he says, I don't know who printed this in the Sidurim, I don't know how this became this way, but it seems to ignore the whole Allah until the end when they say Shabbat Yim Zok, Rufuah The other question is, with regards to Yom Tov, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippurim, do you have to make that statement? There are some of the Achronim who believe that you say Shabbatim Lezok Rufuah Krovo even for Yom Tov, because Yom Tov is also under the category of Shabbat, we discussed this in Parshat and more, under the category of the Shabbatot Shana, that's also the Yomim Tovim, that's also true in regards to the start of the Omer, Mimachrat Shabbat. that's talking about after the Yom Tov of Pesach, so we see that Yom Tov is called Shabbat. Others say that you don't have to do it at all on Yom Tov, because we make requests on Yom Tov. 
As opposed to Shabbat, where we don't make requests, then Yom Tov we do make requests. That's what we say in, when we take out the Torah, there be bono shololam. We make requests of Hashem in Yom Tov, so there's no problem with making a request, proper request, without making a difference. Others say that you have to say, Yom Tov him lezok, which generally is our practice. Even if it falls out on Shabbat, some of the Achronim say that you can say Yom Yishaberach, because they're the Yimei Adin, and they're the day that you're supposed to be Mimakesh from Hashem, and ask Rachamim from Hashem. We do many things on Shabbat, when Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippurim fall out on Shabbat, that ignores the normal rules of Shabbat. And I think the Matei Ephraim says over there that you should, not that you should avoid, but should make requests for the Cholim on those days, because that's the appropriate time to make requests on their behalf. I'll come back to this in one second. That brings us to Tosafot. Tosafot asked something, and Tosafot asked this also in Gemara Rosh Hashanah, I think in the Darim as well. There he gives a different answer. Over here he gives an answer that's incredible, and that's why it's worth looking into. Kashler Rebbeinu Tam, Rebbeinu Tam says, I don't understand why we pray for Cholim at all. Mamo Elet Tfilah, the Rabbi Meir, or the Rabbi Yehuda. According to Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda, the Shita Tam, why does it matter that you daven for a Chola the rest of the year? Because Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda say, "Akol nidonim b'Rosh Hashanah, because our din shalayim nechtam b'Yom Kippurim." Divrei Rabbi Meir, everything's decided in Rosh Hashanah, and then nixar on Yom Kippurim. Rabbi Yehuda Meir, "Akol nidonim Rosh Hashanah, because our din shalayim echad b'chad nechtam b'zmano." Everyone's gzar din is finished on their time. Pesach alatuva, but dam b'Yom Kippurim. For a person, it's on Yom Kippur. That means that whatever's going to happen over the year was already determined on Yom Kippur, according to Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda. So why bother to daven? The shikatam. Why do you daven for the Cholet? It's already been decided. The question is a good question, but the answer is even more amazing. Tosut says, V'yish lomar, T'hocha, B'Shabbat, Shabin Rosh Hashanah, V'en Yom HaKippurim, Ayre. This is on the Shabbat between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Tosut basically says, En Hochanam. No reason to daven for the Cholet the rest of the year. The only time it matters is this one Shabbat, Shabbat Shuvah, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, where you're still in Taloi. It's between the time of the Din and the Gzar Din, or the Nechtam Din. Therefore, it's worthwhile to pray on Shabbat. Otherwise, no reason to daven for the Cholet. The other answer he gets, Whether it's before the Gzardin or even after the Gzardin, then not the Shapir. That pays the daven even after the Gzardin. That's a Gemara that we saw in Nida. In other places that even after the Gzardin, it's worthwhile to daven. So going to that second answer, there's still reason to daven. But the first answer is incredible, which is the Totsu basically says, Eno Chanami. It's not worthwhile to daven for a cholem because the gzardin was already determined from Riyom Kippurim. The other thing is, over here the Gemara gives a clear formulation of a Shabbatim lezok refuah krovu But in the same breath, Rabbi Chanina says that Bikoshi tiru to bikr cholem and nachem avelim. But the Gemara does not give a formulation for nichum avelim. So therefore, it turns out to be a machloket in the achronim exactly what to do. Mishnah Bura brings down one should say Shabbatim lenachem. Same formulation that we have by the Refua, you should do by the Nechama. Magin Avram says that he doesn't see whether you could say the regular way, you don't have to make that mention of Shabbat. Practice in general is to say, that one should say that if they are a Menachem Avelim on Shabbat. The Mishnah Brewer brings down, and it's mentioned by some of the other Rechronim, that one should not be mikavein their Bikr Cholim and Nichum Avelim on Shabbat. He says it's horrible that people don't go during the week, and they specifically go to do Bikr Cholim and Nichum Avelim on Shabbat. It's against the whole statement here, Bekoshi Yitiru. So he says, look, if one is so busy during the week, and it's impossible for them to get there, then fine, of course you can go on Shabbat. 
And if it helps the Cholet, and he wants the person to come, it's going to make a difference. So the Nicham Avelim is going to be done, that's fine. But a person shouldn't say, oh, you know what, I'm not going to go today, I'll go on Shabbat. That's inappropriate, because then you're deferring the activity to Shabbat, when it is almost inappropriate for you to do it on Shabbat. The last thing is the problem of Nicham Avelim on Friday night. On Friday night, the practice is that the Avelim leave the shul, and they then enter once the kahal reaches before Mizmar Shili Yom Shabbat, and the kahal turns around and says, There's numerous problems with this practice. The reason that that practice was done is because Boskim argue about when Kabbalah Shabbat actually happens. It doesn't happen at Baruch when you start Baruch at Mariv. Does it happen at Mizmar Shili Yom Shabbat in Kabbalah Shabbat? Or does it happen at Boi B'Shalom in Kabbalah Shabbat? So the placement of the entering of the Avilim is based on the fact that Mizmor Shilin Amish Shabbat, according to that opinion, is Kabbalat Shabbat. There were practices in communities that the Avilim entered before Boi B'Shalom, because Boi B'Shalom was the Kabbalat Shabbat, and might explain part of why we turn around in Boi B'Shalom. Right? According to those communities where they had the Minah, the reason they turned around was to be Menachem the Avilim when they were coming in, and then they said Boi B'Shalom, because then, they only then, were they Mikabel Shabbat. But what does that show you? That shows you the whole purpose of this is that the Avelim come in before Shabbat starts. You do the Nichum because they're going to enter into Shabbat and there is no Avelut b'Shabbat. Or Avelut b'Fayesia b'Shabbat. So the point is that they enter right before we are Mikabel b'Shabbat. The problem today is that in our communities, everyone davens Kabbalat Shabbat after Shkia. After the sun is set already. It's already Shabbat in our communities. And what happens now? The Avel goes out. And then we make a big public thing about the Avel is Bavelut. That's Avelut Prefaresia. That's making a big deal about the Avelut. And then we, after that, we do Nichom Avelim on Shabbat itself. It's very problematic. The Mishabur already says it's problematic. And Shmir Shabbat Gilchata brings that Rav Shomel Zalman also said it was problematic. We have to see this. The last 20 years have been bothering uh, Shuls about this. That they should do it before Kabbalat Shabbat. That it should be done before Shkia. The Nichom Avelim has to be done before Shkia. Right, that much I know I can't do. I can't change the fact that they'll get to Mizrach Shia before Shkia. But at least Nichum Avelim should be done before the Zman of Shkia. And in addition to that, if the Nichum Avelim takes place on Shabbat, the greeting should be Shabbat Dimel Nechayim Unachama Krova Levo. So that should be also something that should be done or corrected if you're going to do it on Shabbat, which is problematic in itself. Even though the Magen of Ram says you could do the regular greeting, nevertheless, it should be at least some acknowledgement that it's Shabbat when they do the Nichum Avelim. But the problem really is, is that you're making it a public issue on Shabbat itself, which is the whole point of Avelim and Shabbat. It's only supposed to be Tzina, not Befreasya. That is a big problem with our practice today. Alright, now, Lo Yikra Lo Oraner, Amarabba, Afilo Gvoash Tekomot. Even if it's two stories high, you cannot read by that lamp. Even if it's two uh, saddles worth high. Even if it's ten houses, one on top of the other. So the, all of these are problematic. What this shows you is the, what we call a position in zero, which is low plug. We make no distinction. We say you can't read by candlelight. It doesn't matter whether the candlelight is accessible to you or not accessible to you. It doesn't matter if you can reach the lamp or not reach the lamp. There is no reading by candlelight, period. This is a concept within Gzerot or Takanot Chachamim in general that we say low plug. That when the, if you want to make something work, it has to be objective. As soon as you give people a certain amount of subjectivity in it, they start to say, yeah, yeah, it's not really so close to me. They talk themselves into saying that it's okay, and it breaks down the Gzerot. So therefore we give an objective standard which says, no reading to the light of the nair, it doesn't matter how close or how far it is from you. Right, so electric plates, they don't work the same way unless you have a dimmer on it. 
Maybe only in that instance today. It's only on and off. The Gemara is not worried about you extinguishing or lighting the lamp. They're only worried about you increasing the lamp. So in electric lights today, generally that's not a problem. Again, unless you have a dimmer on the light, then that might be the only case here. Oh, can you move a lamp? That's a machloka. That's a good question. That has to do with lishim lachto isur. So, for instance, by fans, it's clear that you can move a fan to be closer or further away from you or a distance itself, because that's tzorach mikomo. If you want to sit in that place, fan blowing or not playing you, or tzorach kufo, you want the fan blowing on you. The question by a candle is that even Rabbi Shimon, who believes that there's no muksa, says that you're not allowed to carry out a flame on Shabbat because it might extinguish when you're moving it. So Rabadner brings down as a muksa sefer that he thinks that a light bulb has the same din as a lamp because of low plug and you can't carry them on a Shabbat. It's the same din as a nair and you can't move it at all on Shabbat. I've seen from other poskim that they disagree with that and that the, today the light bulbs have the same din as a fan. And therefore, since it's a klishu machtolis, or p'tzorach makom, or p'tzorach kufo, you could move the lamp around. Alright, so, Sounds like from this, that only one person may not read to the candlelight, but if you have two people there, it's okay. So, Tanya, we have a bright, not one, not two can read. That's not a question. Depends if they're learning together, they're reading together, or they're different issues. If they're by themselves, each one's doing their own thing, then you can't do it because they're not paying attention to you. Other, he's not going to stop his friend from doing the wrong thing. is if they're doing the same topic, then they're going to remind each other not to touch the lamp. That's the way Rashi reads it. I would have, when I read it first, I would have read the opposite way around. That when you're not involved with each other, then you notice when the person's doing the wrong thing because you're not all wrapped up together. If you're doing the same minyan, you're all wrapped up together. He goes and moves the lamp. Then maybe over there you wouldn't warn him because you also want more light. So you could read it either way. Rashi clearly reads it the way I read it first. I'm Rav Huna Medura. We're talking about a big, higher than Afilo Sarabine Adam Asur. Even if there are ten people sitting around it, it's a sore because no two people really see each other. You can, there are logs sticking out. You can stoke the fire without the other person noticing. So nobody's going to warn the other one not to do it because it's not obvious. If a person is a person of stature, then you can have a lamp there and you can read to the lamp because it's beneath his dignity to tip the lamp. He would only have his servants or someone else do it. Because of that, then we don't worry about him moving the lamp. The only question is if you would move the lamp in a certain situation. Adam Choshev, since it's beneath his dignity to do that, to touch the lamp, then he won't move it. So there's no problem here. Rabbi Shmuel says, I'll read and I won't come into that problem. One time he's reading and he wanted to tilt the lamp. How great are the words of Chamim? Because that's why they said, don't read. He says, I, I thought I could overcome it, and he didn't. Binat Romer Vita, that he actually read, and he did tip it. Pinkaso, he wrote on his pad, Ani Yishmael ben Elisha, Kariti Vititi, I did the sin, Nerev Shabbat, Shivne Beit HaMikdash, Avi Chatat Shmina. When the Beit HaMikdash is rebuilt, I bring a big fat Chatat. So meaning that he was Chayav, he had violated the Shabbat bit Shogeg. What's the question from this? Is that Yishmael ben Elisha is an Adam Choshu. And over here he's being noted an air. So how do you say that a person of stature, that prevents him from tilting the lamp? So I'm Rabbi Abba, Shani, Rabbi Shmuel, and Elisha, oh, Mesimat, Small, Divrei, Tarak, Yehad, Yot. That even though he was a person of stature, when it came to learning Torah, he did not allow his stature to come in the way. In that he acted like a lay person, that because Torah was so important to him, and learning of Torah was so important to him, he did not stand on ceremony in terms of his position or his stature, and therefore he did whatever it took to learn Torah. So over here he tilted the lamp, even though that would not have been appropriate in other circumstances for his stature, but because it was for Divrei Torah, he didn't ask his servant, whoever it was, to come tilt the lamp for him. Tani Chada, Shamash Bodei Kosot Vikaroto Oraner, the butler can't check the 
cups and the platters or the bowls to the candlelight, that he may not do that. Depends if he's a temporary shamash or he's the permanent shamash. So the way Rashi reads it, it's again the opposite way of I would read it, he says by a shamash kavua, then he cares. Because, you know, he works there and he wants to make sure everything's right. One who's there temporarily. He doesn't focus on things so carefully because he's only doing this as a temporary job. Tosafot says the opposite, which is the way I would have read it, is by Shamash Kavu, he already has the job. If something goes wrong, he's not going to get fired. He generally does the job properly, so he's not going to be as careful. The person here who's doing it temporarily, he's trying to get the job. He's trying to get good reference over here. He wants to do it right. He's going to be extra careful. So that's the problematic one. So he by According to Rashi's gear, so that's According to Rabbeinu Tam, the gear should be because then that's the one who wouldn't look. Depends what the fuel for the lamp is. If the fuel is oil, then we worry about him tilting it. If the fuel is some sort of petroleum product which smells really bad and nobody goes near it, then that's not going to be an issue because nobody would tilt the lamp in that case. If you combine the two items, now what's the story? So therefore, he doesn't normally tip the lamp according to Rashi's girsa. Again, according to the Tosavot, the Gersamai should have been Shamash Kavua, Bidamishcha, with oil. Oil which you do tail. So you have one mitigating factor, and then one which is an encouraging factor. The fact that it's oil, you would tilt it, but the fact that it's Shamash Kavua, what do you do? Samarab, Halokha, Beimorim, Kain. The law is that he's permitted to do it, but we don't teach that. We're not going to tell people that. That's the law, and you can teach people that. It's not a problem. So Rabbi came to visit Ravasi. Kam Shamei. His servant, the servant of Rabir Miyaba got up, and then he was checking the items to the light of the candle. It was an oil lamp, and he was checking. Now he is a Shamash Sheena Kavua, because he's visiting the house of Ravasi. So he's an outsider that's working there. Amrle Debitu, his wife, meaning Ravasi's wife says to him, Marlo Avid you don't allow that to happen. How come you're allowing this to go on here? Says, Leave him alone, he holds like his Rebbe. Servant, or his Shamash, was fasting like Rabbi Yerubi And Rabbi Yerubi says, So therefore he was so very like his Rebbe. Now the Gemara says, This is from the Mishnah, that the Chazan is allowed to go and check where the Roshi, where the Parshiot are. So we actually brought two interpretations to the Mishnah. One is that he's the Gabai. He's going to check where they're going to lean from the Torah the next day. Or, the other one was that he's the teacher of the Tino Code, and he was just going to see where he was going to have to teach from the next day. Both of those cases, it's a cursory glance, not an involved reading, and that's why he's allowed to do it, because he's not going to tilt the lamp, he doesn't need so much light. Bamart Reisha, didn't you say in the Reisha, my lovely quote, over there it says, that he's going to see, what do you mean going to see, to read. So it sounds like the Chazan could read without any questions, and how can you say that the Chazan may not read? So he says, lo, the Sader Roshay Parshiotav. That's going to see the head headlines. As Rashi explains over here, When he knows like the beginning and the end, he'll remember what to do the next day. And he's the Gabbai, so he, he, this, when he hears the beginning of the Parshat, then he it flows, he starts to go and he goes. And he's able to help those that are coming up. Remember, those that got a Leot had to lane. So he's able to do the things. Ah, very good. So that's like the Gemara in Brachot. Rashi in the Gemara in Brachot and Dachsamet Berman Aleph said that he saw people from Eretz Yisrael that used to come and they used to move their fingers along with the trup and the Nikudot to give signals for what they 
truck was. So he says over here, the same thing over here. This individual is going to help those that come up for the Aliyah who are going to lay in. He'll be able to help them with the Nikudah Tamea Velachash. He'll whisper it to them. He'll help them out because he just, last night he reviewed it quickly by seeing the Roshay Parshiot. So that's very interesting. And that Rashi, we saw back in Brachot and some of Benjamin Elves, it seems to correlate and support that idea. Alright. cannot read it. In that we said in the mission, the Chazan is not allowed to read, but he's allowed to the Sader Roshay Parshiotav, Kula Parshalo, but the whole Parsha not. Here we have the children are in the, the teacher's house. They're allowed to read and do everything Parshiotav. Some say, no, they're not reading the whole thing. They're just doing a portion of it. Because they're in the presence of their teacher, they will not do anything without the permission of their teacher. They're not going to tip the lamp because they know that they don't do anything without the permission. Even on a weekday, forget about on Shabbat, they don't move without their teacher's permission. Obviously, that was in their day. Today, it might be a little different. But the movement of this lamp would never happen with the children. Therefore, they could read even when they're reading full-fledged because they're not going to do anything without permission of their Rebbe. Right, we'll stop over here.